this week on Hope for the Broken. What hurt? What pain? What crisis are you crying out to him about? Where do you need the God of the universe to pause and to tend to little old you? You ever want to know where you rank on God's priority list? You may feel insignificant, but God sees you oh so worthy. There's power in knowing that. I can say with confidence that while God's response is not always what we want, the Almighty will remember you. He will tune his ear to you. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled, Calling Out to God. Last Sunday, we began a new teaching series where we're working our way this semester through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel in a series that we have entitled Life Lessons. If you missed last Sunday, don't worry about it. It it was kind of an overview. You can go back and listen to it on our website at trinitytx.org slash sermons or catch it on our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. The name of our podcast is Hope for the Broken. And so you can listen to that and be caught up real quick. But today's message is entitled Calling Out to God. Calling Out to to God. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you're not there already, if you need a Bible, there should be one located somewhere in the seat uh, rack in front of you. And if you need a Bible and for you, your own personal use, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you here this morning. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 1 through 20 this morning. Today we are studying one of the godliest women in the entire Bible. Her name is Hannah. She's Samuel's mother. And in these verses, it captures her cry out to God in a state of desperation. Have you ever been in a state of desperation where the only thing that you felt like that you could do is to cry out to God? That you felt like there was no solutions to whatever it was that you were facing. And so you just hit your knees and began to call out to God. This is where Hannah finds herself. And I think we'll be able to find ourselves in her position here this morning. And so we're going to look at Hannah's pain. We're going to look at Hannah's prayer. And we're going to look at Hannah's promise. And then we're going to learn three life lessons from this first chapter of first Samuel. So let's begin by first looking at Hannah's pain. Follow along with me in your copy of God's word, first Samuel chapter one, beginning in verse one. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohim, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Whew. I worked hard this week. And listen, parents, expecting parents, these are not names to name your child, right? I'm just just saying. So this verse is introducing us to a man named Elkanah. And the location and the genealogy tell us something about Elkanah. 
that he was a good man, but he was a mountain man. He lived in the country, in the mountains. And so he was this good country mountain man. Verse 2 says that he had two wives. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Trouble in paradise. The name of the one was Hannah, which means grace, by the way. And the other name of the other was Penina, which means ruby. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, obviously, this marriage arrangement arrangement goes against God's ideal for marriage. While we read about polygamy in the Bible, it is never condoned by the Bible. You understand? Uh, The model, the biblical model for marriage is contained in Genesis chapter 2 and is also echoed by Jesus in the Gospels. The ideal for marriage is is to be between one man and one woman in a covenant relationship. That's the ideal of of marriage. So why then does, does Elkanah have two wives? Well, we learn that Hannah most likely was his first wife. And the reason why we know that is because she's listed first, but also because she had no kids. We learn that she doesn't have children. And because she could not have children and because of the importance of childbearing in a very agrarian society, Elkanah took another wife that could have children. And Elkanah stepped out of the will of God when he took this other wife. And this is not the first time in the Bible that we see this happen. Remember Abraham and Sarah? Remember God promised them that they would have a child even in their old age and Sarah didn't believe it? And so uh, Abraham uh, had a child with his servant. And just like with Abraham, it's the same thing with Elkanah. What follows an arrangement like that? Dysfunction. Every kind of dysfunction. And so that's exactly what we see here. Now let's keep reading chapter, verse 3. It says, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice. So Elkanah is a very devout believer. And he would worship to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day where Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you do not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Uh, Do you see the dysfunction that is going on here? And Elkanah, bless his heart, he's clueless. A typical man. Why are you sad, Hannah? I mean, I gave you a double portion of mashed potatoes. Why are you upset? Fellas, this is not a good role model to follow. It will not get you anywhere. At least make it a double scoop of ice cream. You know what I mean? All right. And so the point of this verse is to allow us to step into Hannah's pain. Do you see it? Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to more than see Hannah's pain. I want us to feel Hannah's pain. 
Her pain came from the inability to have children. Being barren is difficult in any culture for a woman. But in her society, not being able to have children was the absolute worst affliction a woman could endure. Her whole purpose in that society was to bear children. She could not even achieve her purpose. Can you imagine the the stares and the judgment that was placed on her by her peers? To To make matters worse, Elkanah's other wife, known as Hannah's rival, Miss Ruby, she had several children. Can you imagine? The inability to have children, so your husband goes outside of your marriage, takes another wife, and man, she could just have children easily. Scripture doesn't tell us how many children she had, but we know that she had multiple children. I mean, this seemed to be easy for Penina. You know how Hannah, that made Hannah feel? Moreover, this woman, Penina, would rub it in Hannah's face. Verse 6 said she would provoke her grievously just to irritate her. And we learn in verse 7 that this happened repeatedly, almost constantly, especially when they made the journey to Shiloh for the annual sacrifice. And I want to draw your attention to the words grievously irritate. If you're following along in your Bible, I want you to underline or circle those words. It is one word in the original language. And the uh, literal meaning does not mean getting on my nerves. It means to roar or to thunder. The idea behind the word is a raging storm. And this is what Hannah feels on the inside. Have you ever felt on the inside a raging storm because of your circumstances? Pain and agony. So much pain and agony, she can't even eat. You ever been there? She can't even go without weeping. You feel her pain? What happens most of the time when we find ourselves in that kind of state? What do we do? We turn to something that can numb the pain. This is where a lot of addictions takes place. This is where a a lot of seeking fulfillment and other people begins to take place. But those are all roads that lead to further destruction and further pain and further suffering. But the model that we have for Hannah is that she doesn't seek refuge in those things. Instead, Hannah dealt with her pain by number two, Hannah's prayer. Hannah took her pain and took it to the Lord in prayer. Read along with me. Pick back up in verse 9. It said, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. One commentator I read read this week pointed out that it's something easy to skip over there in that verse. It's just two words. Hannah rose. The words behind that translation literally draws our attention to rising with a purpose. Set out to do something. A decisive action of Hannah. What was her decisive action? It was to run to the Lord in prayer. When Hannah was at her worst, feeling the greatest amount of grief and pain, she rose determined to go meet with God and cry out, to God. And look at her prayer. Verse 10. She was deeply distressed. 
and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Skip down to verse 12 as we see the passion in her prayer, 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Hannah was praying so passionately, silently, but so passionately that it gained the attention of Eli the priest. You know, this mirrors what Jesus teaches us about prayer. Jesus in Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what Hannah is doing. She is petitioning the prayer or petitioning God through prayer. Verse 13, therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I'm wringing out my soul to the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. You ever spoken to God out of anxiety and vexation, wringing out your soul before the Lord? Verse 17, then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. The woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. I want you to see the passion in her prayer. She's calling out to God. She's crying out to God. And we know exactly what she prayed for. If you know the story, she prayed for a child, specifically a son. The focal point in Hannah's prayer, though, is verse 18. The second part of the verse says, after she prayed, she got up, she ate, and was no longer sad. Here's what this means. Hannah had hope long before the answer came from God. She knew who it was that she prayed to, and she gave her hope. Even, even if her prayer was not answered, she had hope because of whom she prayed. Filled her with hope and faith, not because of what she got from God but because of a relationship and time spent with him. See, Hannah didn't have to know the answer in order to be joyful because she knew who she prayed to. And she took advantage of what Peter urges us in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen, this seems backward to us. We might think that Hannah prays then God grants her prayer, and then she has joy. That's not the order. The order is Hannah prays, she gets joy, and then God answers her prayers. Does that mirror our prayers? Simply having hope and faith after just placing our anxiety, placing our prayer in God's hands, that's exactly what Hannah does. It almost looks like she gets the order backwards. But I think there's a lesson in it for us. So we felt Hannah's pain. We've examined her prayer. Now let's look at Hannah's promise. Hannah made a promise in her prayer, a vow to God. 
should he determine to grant her petition. Verse 11, it says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now we understand what Hannah does here, right? We've prayed prayers like this. God, if you show up, then I will fill in the blank. God, if you come through, then I'll go to church every single Sunday, right? You ever pray a prayer like that? I pray prayers like that on an airplane whenever there's a little bit of turbulence. (laughs) And that's what Hannah prays. But I want you to see the depth of her promise. This was no lighthearted conversation with God. The vow that she makes is much greater than that. The detail about no razor touching his uh, head is a reference to what is called a uh, Nazarite vow. This was a special vow that people took when they desired to become a priest. Normally, priests came from the tribe of Levi. That was, your, that was your inroad to becoming a priest. But if someone outside the tribe of Levi wanted to become a tr- priest, they had to take this Nazarite vow. And a part of that vow is that your hair would not be cut. And so what she is essentially saying to God, God, if you will give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you to serve in your kingdom all of his life. But consider what that meant for Hannah. Her pain was caused by what? Not having a child. But she vows to give the child back to God if he chooses to give her one. In other words, she's giving up all claims to a child, all claims to the benefit of having a son before she even has one. This is a a profound promise. When someone took that vow, they left their family. That means her son would not grow up in her house. He would not be there for emotional support for Hannah. He would not be available to take care of her in her old age. You see what she's saying in her pain. The one thing that could give her fulfillment is having a child and she vows to give him back to God. You see what she's done? She's laid aside every benefit that a son would give her yet she's filled with hope and faith and she's happy. Hannah had come to a point where she had shifted where she found her identity and happiness. No longer was her identity, no longer was her fulfillment found in the things of this world. It was found in a personal relationship with her God. That's the lesson that we learn here. Some of us just want to get to the next stage of life. If we get there, we'll be happy. Some of us are desperately hoping for a promotion at work. If we get it, then we'll be able to provide what we need for our family. Others are hoping for status, and some even like Hannah are hoping for a child. But hear me, none of those things can bring the joy and fulfillment like a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. People that are longing to fill their lives with stuff are missing the boat. God desires us to long for Him to satisfy our soul. We see Hannah's pain. We see her prayer and then her promise. In the time that we have left, I want to talk about three 
life lessons that we learn from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. I think there are many life lessons in this story, by the way. And so I want to encourage you this week to go back and read the story time and time again and point out the things in your own life that God is speaking to you about the example of Hannah. But I want to mention three life lessons. First, speak life into others. Speak life into others. I think this is a life lesson we learn in this story. And while there's not a whole lot that we learn positive from the life of Eli, this life lesson we do learn from him. He takes advantage of an opportunity to speak life into Hannah. After Hannah prays, Eli mistakes her as being drunk. She tells him, I'm just pouring out my soul to God. And Eli had a couple of choices right then. Eli could have said, oh, my bad, continue on, and walked away. But Eli didn't choose that. Instead, he chose to speak life into this woman. It says, then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. Can you imagine how that made Hannah feel? That was speaking words of life. Listen, beloved, in a culture, in a day and time where people are seeking ways to tear other people down just so they can build themselves up, we need people to speak life. And God has called us, the church, to speak life. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 urges us, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Has there ever been anyone that speaks life into you? Have you ever had an opportunity to speak life into someone else? How encouraging are those moments? Listen, we need it now more than ever before. You know, the sports world this week witnessed a God moment. Last Monday, on Monday Night Football, Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed following a routine tackle and was immediately in cardiac arrest. Trainers and medical professionals administered CPR on the field, in front of the television, in front of thousands of fans, in front of other players before loading him into an ambulance and taking him to a nearby hospital, that packed stadium fell silent. Many of them turning to one another, huddled up in pockets of prayer all over a football arena. Players looked on with tear-filled eyes. They prayed as DeMar's life hung in the balance. One of the most powerful moments I have witnessed in my life was when ESPN football analyst Dan Orlovsky prayed on air of NFL Live broadcast. I found myself checking the news every morning to read about DeMar's status. And then on Thursday, I believe, he awoke from a coma. And the first thing that he said, the first thing that he wrote out, you remember it? Who won? You remember the words of life that the doctor spoke into him? He said, DeMar, you won at the game of life. Can you imagine how those words will echo in that young man's heart for the rest of his life? Speak life into others. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death, oh, 
and life are in the power of the tongue. Life lesson number one, be someone who speaks life into other people. Life lesson number two, and I hope that you grab a hold of this today, God never forsakes us. Never forsakes us. When you think about Hannah's story, it's a reminder that God never forgets us. She asked God for a few specific things. Number one, she asked God for a son. But in verse 11, she asked God to remember her, to not forget her. Think about the profound nature of that kind of prayer. Here is an obscure country woman of very little significance. What would the Almighty God have to concern with her? The person, the God of the universe, tending to major problems all over the world. What would he have to do to concern himself with little old Hannah? Where does Hannah rank in the priority list of the Almighty? Well, I'm here to tell you she ranks very high. Look at verse 19. It says, They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Here's a question. Where do you need the Lord to remember you? What hurt, what pain, what crisis are you crying out to him about? Where do you need the God of the universe to pause and to tend to little old you? You ever want to know where you rank on God's priority list? Same as Hannah. You may feel insignificant, but God sees you oh so worthy. And there's power in knowing that. And there's power that leads us to petition the God that cares about that. I can say with confidence that while God's response is not always what we want, the Almighty will remember you. He will tune His ear to you. Hannah's story tells us that if God didn't abandon a little old country lady of very little significance living in the hill country, then He won't abandon you either. Life lesson number one, speak life into others. Life lesson number two, God will never leave you. Life lesson number three, God always has a purpose and a plan. God always has a purpose and a plan. You know, it doesn't take long in reading this story to see that Hannah's story is echoed in another person. Remember another name of a young lady in a similar situation? Name was Mary. And God had a plan for these two women. And he used them to bless a nation and bless a world with hope. In Hannah's case, she gave birth to a child that would be a great and godly leader, a man that restored the hope of the nation of Israel. In Mary's case, she gave birth to our Savior. Listen, if there's not the passionate prayer of Hannah, there may never have been a Samuel. And if there was never a Samuel, there may not have been a King David or an entire line leading to Jesus. Actually, I take that back. There would have been because God always accomplishes his plan. The key difference is this. 
Hannah was willing to participate in God's plan, and because she did, she received a blessing from God. The same is true of Mary, and the same is true for us. We may not always know the details of God's plan, but hear me, we can trust that he has one. Sometimes what you and I go through is preparation for what's next. God was preparing and building the faith of little old Hannah for a ride of a lifetime. And whatever it is that we find ourselves in, whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in, guess what? God is using it to prepare us for what's next. God has a plan and he has a purpose. Question is not whether or not he has one, it's whether or not we're willing to participate in it. Three life lessons. Speak life into others. God never forsakes us, and he has a purpose and a plan. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.